0: Daf Nun Vav The first topic today is misusing Maaser Sheni money. If someone has Maaser Sheni, the best thing is to take that very produce itself and bring it to Jerusalem and he can eat it in Jerusalem and share it with everyone. It's beautiful halacha to take a tenth of all of one's produce and not say you're coming for um, uh, for Sukkot, which is seven days and or eight days, and now you're going to be uh, consuming a tenth of your entire produce in eight days. Well, that's a lot, and you probably won't be able to eat it yourself, which is good. That means you're gonna to have to share it with friends and family and poor people in and, Liviyim, and uh, make it very festive and show one's gratitude and also elevate the economy and glory of Jerusalem. So that's the goal. If, uh, if it's too far or too hard to Carry all that produce, then one can redeem it with money and bring the money to Jerusalem, buy food in Jerusalem, and then do the same thing. Now we learn: One should not buy an animal outside of Jerusalem using money of Mashe Sheni. Supposed to go into Jerusalem and find the marketplace there and then there buy fruits, vegetables, animals. But if you're going to buy it outside Yerushalayim and then bring it in, This is not appropriate. One, because maybe you'll eat it outside of Yerushalayim. Two, because maybe it will diminish on its way while it's walking. And so uh, you also want to bolster the economy of the sellers in Yerushalayim. So therefore, one should not do that. Bidi Avad. One did redeem his Maser Shani for money. And then he got closer to Yerushalayim, but still outside Yerushalayim, he buys an animal. If he did it by mistake, meaning he didn't realize that this money is Maser Shani money. And he bought the Animal. So then, then the money returns to its place. In other words, this was an erroneous transaction. I thought this was regular money. I was just going to eat this for a barbecue over here, and now I realize the maserch any money. I never would have made this uh, sale. Um, so we return the sale. Uh, the that's the the buyer would not have uh, bought it. Uh, the seller also might say, I didn't. Uh, I don't want this maserch any money. What am I going to do with it? I have to bring it to Yerushalayim, and so the sale is void both directions. Um if one did it on purpose, he knew it's Mahashimani money and says, yeah, I want to get this as nice animal over here, better prices. Um and so then uh Avad, it is uh, the the animal is 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 a Maheshani animal now and you should bring it to and eat it there. Bam Makom eat it in Yerushalayim. You can't say the cell is void because he knew what he was doing. So the sale is valid, but make sure to bring it in Yerushalayim and don't do that again next time, right? You really should buy it in Israel, in, in Yerushalayim. When do we say that just bring it to Yerushalayim and eat it? That's when you had in mind, the buyer had in mind, that he's going to take this animal and make it a Shalamim. Uh, people would do that often because it's a holiday and it's nice to bring Shalamim. Shalamim, only part of it goes on to the Mizbech, but most of it, the owners eat, the Kohanim, we get some, the owners eat most of it. So it's a nice way of having um, a nice barbecue and inviting everyone. It, but it's also, um, uh, um, also you elevate it to sacrificial meat, Kadashim Kalim, that anyone can eat any, in, in uh, Yerushalayim, who's Tahor. Okay, so uh, often, and this is the proper thing to do, is with ma'aseh money, buy an animal and make it shalamim. If the person had that in mind, that's going to be a shalamim. And, uh, but they they uh, uh, violated by buying it outside Yerushalayim. Okay, but still it's going to be a shalamim. So then now we're sure that it's going to be treated respectfully and it will be brought in Yerushalayim. There's no problem. It's not going to eat it outside Yerushalayim because it's a shalamim and you can't eat it outside anyway however if he ha- if his uh, uh, if he has in mind that he is going to uh, redeem this money meaning the holiness of the money is going to leave and go into the animal um uh, uh, and so now the Masishini money is now not sacred anymore and he's not going to treat this animal like a Shalamim offering, um, but he's going to uh, treat it just like a regular animal, then this is a problem, and whether he did it uh, by mistake or on purpose, before we said if it's bishogeg, then the sale is valid. Now we're adding that even if it's on, on purpose, um, if he's not going to treat the animal, well, did not have in mind to treat the animal as a shalamim, then the money should be returned. The sale is invalid. Um, so the idea is two reasons. Number one, the buyer he's not going to treat this properly. Maybe he's going to eat it outside. And second, maybe since he's since the the holiness did not go. Necessarily going to the animal. If it goes to Shilamim, if it makes a Shilamim, the holiness certainly transferred to the animal. But if not, he didn't make a Shilamim, Maybe the the holiness is still in the money, and therefore the uh, seller, the the seller is going to be like, I don't, What am I going to do with this money? And he might not treat it properly. Um, and bring it to Yerushalayim. And so therefore, the sale is void. That is Rabbi Yudah's opinion. Now, hold on, how Rabbi Yudah seems to be contradicting himself? Because up in our Mishnah, it says that someone takes a uh, Hekadesh money and does Kiddushin with it, and he did it on purpose. The Kiddushin is valid, right? It's a good transaction. And yet here, he says the 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 sale is, is invalid. And these are equivalent because just like in Kiddushin, you're not making it a shalamim or anything you're just giving her the money that's a it's a that's a, a monetary transaction he has to have money and gives it to her and then therefore thereby the kiddushin um is is effectuated and there he says it is effectuated um, and then she'll go and te- it's Masish any money, and she'll go and have to spend that money in Jerusalem. And so, in the, our Mishnah here in Kiddushin, the Biurda said that's fine. The transaction is fine. How come we don't do the same thing in this case, where the guy buys an animal? He's not. He doesn't have in mind. That it's going to be a Shelamim, just a regular animal. Why don't we say that the, it's a good sale, and then the seller will have to take this Masish any money and um, go and take it to Yerushalayim and spend it there. Uh, Rabbi Al-Azad explains the case of the woman is different because a woman knows that money of Maser Shani do not become desacralized by it being transferred to her by doing Kidushin. It does not become desacralized. So she knows this is Maser Shani money. He told her that it is, and so she knows that, and she accepts, and she will go and take it to Yerushalayim. Although she can't get benefit from this money right where she is, um, outside of Yerushalayim, but she'll she'll take it there, and she doesn't mind. So she'll be careful, and sh- she will do that. Whereas the seller will not be careful because most of the time people buy things from a from a seller with regular money, and then the seller goes and it, it's his it's his. Uh, the seller is his money and he does that's his profit. Or if the seller is in Yerushalayim and he takes Maaser Sheni money, that's also fine because then it becomes desacralized by doing that transaction. So sellers are not going to be careful to treat it like Maaser money, whereas a woman who receives it for Kidushin will, and that accounts for the Biyudas, differing opinions in each case. Matkifla de However, challenges this with another Case of Mishnah and Masechet Masechet Maseh Shani. Vareh behem ma'atemea avadim v'karkaot. Adam yudah shen ma'at Maseh Shani mitchalin alahen. Someone goes and takes Maseh Shani money, and he buys uh, either a non-kosher animal, slaves, land. You're not allowed to use Maseh Shani money to buy these things. And if a person did, um, so, since everyone knows that you can't use maasish any money for such a thing, so it remains holy. It does not become unsacred through the sale, right? You can give the money and then take that thing, but that money is still a uh, sacred um and now utnan en lochim behemat me'a avadim vekarqot bemod maaseh sheni afil beyishlayim lakach yochar kenegdan and so here is the mishnah that says one is not permitted to buy these things that cannot be used as food um and you can't with my money. you can't even buy it in Jerusalem, uh even though yeah you're 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 spending the money in but it has to be spent on food now if you did bedi avad let's say you did then the uh buyer right the one who had the who's it was his musician money to begin with he has to go get other money that's equivalent to it. So if he had thousand dollars of Masisha and money, and he brings it to Jerusalem or anywhere, and he buys some land with it, this was an improper use of Masershem money. So we say the sale. Is, we leave the sale. The sale is valid. Um, And that money remains in the hands of the seller, but the buyer is responsible to go get another $1,000 and use that to transfer the Kiddushah that was in the money that's in the hands of the seller and transfer that to this new money that he gets. And then this is now new Ma'aseh, sheni money that he has to go spend on food in Yerushalayim. So the question is, why is there a difference? How come in the case of a woman, we say that the Kiddushin is valid and the woman, she goes and spends, the she'll go and spend the money in Yerushalayim and we don't say that the husband has to go take other money and redeem the money that's in the hands of the woman, and then he has to go. All right, why don't we say it's the same thing as in this case, where the buyer has to go get new money and redeem the money that he gave to the seller. In both cases, he's using Maas not for food items, um, so it should be the same law. Uh, so we answer, In fact, this case here of the, the, the our Mishnah our Kiddushin, um, that says it's valid, according to the B'yodah, is uh, regarding a woman who's a chavera. Chavera or chaverim are people that are meticulous in the uh, laws of, uh, uh, in, in in the various laws, um, especially regarding turumot and maasrat. This is a maaser law. So they're gonna, she's going to be very careful. She knows, oh, this is money. I have to t- treat it uh, uh, carefully. I'm only going to eat it in Yerushalayim. She, since she is a chavera and she knows, that's why the husband uh, doesn't have to worry about it. And Doesn't have to go and take other money. Whereas in this case of Maasechet Mishnah Maaseh We're talking about a seller a regular seller Who's not a chaver, and he's not gonna he's gonna say well I just uh, sold an item and uh, so the money's mine. He's not going to be careful with the Maaseh And therefore the buyer has to go and take other money to make it un, uh, to redeem that money and so that Maaseh Shani holiness will be properly, properly transferred. Good. We now re-quote the section from the Mishnah in Maaseh that said if someone took a Shani money and he bought land with it, which is inappropriate, um, then the sale is valid but the buyer has to go get other money. And use that for shani. Why should that be so? Why don't we say this is the same as the person who buys an animal... Outside of Yerushalayim with said money, where we say that the sale is invalid and you have to go, get the money goes back. The money that was in the hands of the seller goes back to the buyer, and that animal goes back to the seller. Why don't we invalidate it? How come it's a different law? Shemuel says, "You're right. Really, the sale should be, go back. That is the basic law." Um, but in that Mishnah. Uh, when he buys land is talking about when the seller is gone. He ran away. We can't find him. And so that's why we can't uh, take, we can't take back the money and, and uh, invalidate the sale because uh, he's not around anymore but otherwise you're right it should so really both cases if you can you should invalidate the sale and the money goes back to the buyer now okay so now we understand that the only reason that you don't undo the sales because he ran away but if he would be around then we would tell the seller That you have to, you're penalized. You have to give back the money. It's bad for the seller because he made a good sale. You know, we assume that he made a profit on it. So he doesn't want to give the money back and take the um, land or the animal back. Um, So he is getting the. A brunt of the fine that uh, the money is being taken away from him. Why are we doing that? Why not give the brunt of the fine on the buyer and make him go get, say that the sale is valid, the seller keeps the money, and the buyer has to go get other money and use it to redeem the money that he used improperly? Why not say he's, isn't the isn't lokeach, the buyer, the one primarily responsible, was his masishini money, and he used it for the wrong purpose? And we answer, Lav achbera ganav, ela hora ganav. Uh, No, in fact, the mouse is not responsible for stealing the cheese, but rather the hole is responsible for, steal- for stealing the cheese. Now, I think most of us would think the opposite, that the mouse is responsible. But the point of the Gemara is that the mouse, if he has no hole to hide it in, he wouldn't bother stealing it. But rather, it's the opportunity that's created by there being a hole in the wall that allows the mouse to go ahead and steal the cheese. And therefore here too, even though it's the seller, sorry, the buyer that actually had the Ma'aseh money and misused it, but the seller made it possible for him to do so. And he's kind of like a uh, lifner ived. He's uh, opened the stumbling block and said, oh, this is money, I don't care, I'll take it. And here is, uh, here is the land, or here is this animal that I'm selling you outside of Yerushalayim. And so the seller uh, is responsible because he created the opportunity. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you buy stolen goods, Who's responsible? The thief that stole them in the first place? Or you, the buyer? Well, you, by accepting buying stolen goods from him, you're opening a market for him to do that. And so, it's not we don't blame the thief, but we blame the enabler. Um, I guess there's always going to be mice, but you have to, you know, if you want to get rid of mice, plug up the holes. Um, it might be more effective than actually getting rid of the mice. Okay, so therefore, yes, the seller is the one that should be penalized. Now we ask the other way around. But if there was no mouse, then the hole wouldn't do anything. The hole is just a hole, isn't really the mouse responsible? Even if there were sellers that would be open to selling things for my uh, selling land for my sheni money, but they wouldn't sin without the... Uh, without the buyer coming and offering it. So why don't we blame the buyer more? Uh, so we answer that it makes sense that wherever the money is, that's where the fine should be. Where is this money money That was used inappropriately. Well, the buyer gave it to the seller. So now this is in the seller's hands. So now if we want to give a penalty, how we go? We give a penalty to the buyer to go get other money? Okay, if you can't find the seller, then that's exactly what we do if he ran away. But otherwise, if we know where he is, well, where is the money? It's in the hands of the seller, so therefore the penalty should be in his hands that he has to return that money. That brings us to the next Mishnah of someone trying to do kiddushin with an item that is asur behana'ah. There's various prohibitions in Torah that not only are you are not allowed to eat it, but you're also not allowed to derive any benefit. If you can't derive any benefit, you can't sell it, you can't give it as a gift, which means it has no monetary value. And so, Kidushin has to have at least worth a pedhuta. So, here's the case Be'orla. Someone takes a fruit from a tree in his first three years of growth, Prohibited some grapes and uh grains that were grown together is a subhana'a. If someone owns an ox and the ox goes and kills someone, then the ox is gets, is put on trial. And if it's guilty, then if I mean that in fact it did that, then it gets stoned, and you cannot get any benefit from the meat, the skin, any part of that ox. If there's a um unsolved murder uh we uh we do the the take a take a heifer and break its neck and the body of the animal you cannot get any benefit from it si when it becomes purified you get two birds and one you kill and you dip the other one the live one in the in the blood of the other one and uh seems here from this Mishnah that both birds you're not allowed to have benefit from nazir when nazir finishes his ceremony uh he part of it is he cuts his hair and that hair is holy and you can't get benefit from it. Petar Hamor, first born of a Hamor, before you redeem it, cannot get benefit. Basab halab this is the most relevant one, uh, meat and milk, not only are you not allowed to uh, cook it and eat it, you can even get benefit from it, which means you will not be allowed to, you know, buy a, a cheeseburger and give it as a gift to a non-Jew, although non-Jew can eat it, you cannot get benefit from it or a regular animal that you do shechita in the Bet HaMikdash is not allowed, and all these things um, are prohibited. So, if if someone takes any of these items and gives it to a woman for Kiddushin, the Kiddushin is invalid because all these things have zero value. However, if a person takes any of these items and sells it to someone else. Now, technically, since it has no value, so how, how, what, how could the sale be valid? You can't just sell someone that has something that has no value. So it could be that you sell it either to a non-Jew for whom it has value or to a Jew who doesn't care about it and is going to benefit from it anyway. And for that person it has value, although it's prohibited to do so, it's prohibited to sell it. But if someone agrees to give you money and for him, that person is valuable, then the sale, is valid. In other words, that person gave you money, and so it's your money. And so if this uh, person who received the money goes to goes and does kiddushin with that money, the kiddushin is valid. You can't do so to begin with the the that money has, has is transferred and therefore the kiddushin is valid. Okay, Gemara is gonna ask about these items or min How do you know that fruit from a tree? In this first three years is prohibited not only to eat but also to benefit from the tanya. Well, the pasuk says that this is forbidden, you can't eat it. That from that, I know, um, eating. I can't benefit from it, make dyes out of it, um, make oil out of it, and use it to burn a candle, uh, a lamp rather. From the extra words, and it is forbidden to. Totally. Double language. So that comes to include all things. Okay, that's how we know that case. How do you know that <laughs> mixed kinds are prohibited when uh, they're in a vineyard? Amar um, amar pen pentukad The Pasuk says, uh, don't uh, put in, in your vineyard other seeds, because it will become tikdash, a curious word. It sounds like it'll become holy. So it doesn't actually become holy. So what does this mean? We're going to see two opinions. Chiskaya says this uh, tikdash is a concatenation of two words that tukad esh, um, that if you do this, it will have to be burnt in fire and you can't even benefit from that fire. So the only thing that you could do with it, you can't eat it. You can't benefit from it. You just have to burn it and destroy it. So that's pen t- tukad esh. I guess a more Peshat way is that it'll become like consecrated. Not that it's actually consecrated, but just like something that's consecrated. You cannot eat it, use it, you know, right? It's holy. You can't have derived benefit from it. So too, kilayim. also you cannot, it says Pentikdash, it'll be like something Hekdash. We challenge Av Hashem because it, going, when something is uh, becomes kodesh, you can redeem it with money, and then the item is no longer holy. It's uh, kedushat if you'll say um so then the money the trent the uh holiness transfers to the money would you say that Kilayim, you could do the same thing if i have a 100 dollars worth of uh, of grapes that grew in a Kilayim vineyard can i go and re- and uh, redeem it with money and then the grapes become permitted and the uh, holiness goes into the money you cannot do that right that's in general you cannot redeem kileh kedem it's not like ikdesh. we can prove it from our very mishnah because our mishnah said if someone takes kila'kederm, any of the items on the list, including kila'kederm, and sells it, you can use the money with kiddushin. Now, if the if the holiness would transfer from the kerem to the money, then the money would become prohibited, and you would not be able to do kiddushin with the money. You see from the Mishnah itself that the uh, selling it does not actually transfer anything; that those the those uh, grapes remain prohibited forever, no matter what and uh, the money that you uh, uh, got is just regular money, and that's why the Kiddushin works with that money, assuming that the buyer uh, willingly gave over this money uh, to the seller. So now the seller, it's his money, and he can do, do Kiddushin with it. So you see Rav Hashem's, uh derivation, explanation of the word pentig, Pentigdash, that it becomes like consecrated property, is not accurate, because it would lead to the Conclusion that you could redeem it, but you can't redeem kil'akidim. So rather, we prefer the derivation of chizkiah that you have to destroy it. And the last case for today, shor niskal, How do you know that an ox that was sentenced to death? By stoning is prohibited and had deriving benefit. Minayin de tanya. Mi mash 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 in a En ni'odia she un hi asur asura ba-akhila. Look at the pasuk here. It says, V'chi yigach uh, shor et isha v'amet. An ox kills a man or a woman. Sakol yisakel ha-shor. So, number one, the shor, you have to stone. And, velo yiachelet besaro. You can't eat its flesh. Now isn't that obvious you can't eat its flesh? If if some if an animal is stoned, any animal that dies without proper shechita, you're not allowed to eat. It's a nevela. So this is an extra phrase. Uh, so uh, why say it? Um, so that's to teach, uh, right? Uh, um, uh, so why why say do, don't, do not eat it? Okay. From this itself, we're not yet going to learn that. Rather, from this from this phrase, we learned that let's say it was slaughtered before it got stoned. Right. This ox is sitting there in court in the defendant's chair, all you know, uh, acting, trying to act all, all innocent, and the judge says, "Oh, you're guilty. You have to be stoned." Now, before they actually take it out to be stoned. A butcher comes, runs up, and does proper shechita on it. So you might think that, well, it's an animal's kosher because it got shechita. That's why the pasuk has to add... Yes, uh, you should do Sikila If you did Shechita before you got a chance to do Sikila, you still can't eat the animal. Okay, so far we know that you definitely can't eat it. How do you know that you can't derive benefit from it? We're going to learn that from the end of the Pasukta says the owner of the ox is clean. Now the Peshat, Peshat reading of this is that he, the owner of the ox has no punishment uh, because he didn't do it himself. He didn't go kill someone and he didn't direct his ox to kill someone. It was an accident and it was done indirectly. The ox went on his own. Uh, so therefore the um the ox gets killed but the owner is free from blame. Free from punishment. This is in contrast to the next part where that we talk about a short mu'ad that already killed someone uh, once, twice, three times, and now the owner is not watching it. Um, so then the owner has to die. Um, he can pay a, a ransom for his life um, that will be assessed. So, this is a contrast. Anyway, that's the simple, simple reading of the Pasuk, but we're reading it differently. Balashonaki means he's cleaned out. Um, as Rabbi Ben Zoma says, when the person says, this, per- this person was left clear of his property, right? He has nothing else, he has nothing left. Um, So too here, there's no benefit at all. This ox that he had, this ox went and killed someone, the ox is is stoned and is gone. The owner can't go and benefit from its skin, from its flesh, from any part of it. He's cleaned out. So that's how we learn that you can get no benefit from the ox. Now, to go back a step, how do you know that that phrase, do not eat its flesh, is talking about a case where a butcher ran up and did shachita before, after it was sentenced, but before it actually got stoned? Maybe, in fact, if a a butcher came and did proper shechita at that point, after it was sentenced, before it was was, uh, stoned, maybe it would be uh, permissible and maybe you could eat it. I mean, this is a proper shechita of an ox, so uh, ox meat is kosher. And so I might maybe it would be kosher and this phrase Loyachel um is talking about applying to a case where it was in fact stoned. And now you asked, why do we need that? Since it got sekilah, I know that it's not kosher. Well maybe I would use this phrase Loyachel for what Rabbi bibu says that might be abu amadabi al-azar kolama kum shana mal ya khalu tu khalu tu khalu hadithu li khala wa hadithu katub kadher shpalat aha bin bela." al-bibu says any time uh, any pasuk says do not, it shall not be eaten, you do not eat, you plural, do not eat. That implies both prohibition to eat and a prohibition to get benefit from it. Unless the pasuk says otherwise, like it says otherwise regarding a nevelah, a nevelah, an animal um, that dies on its own. There the, the pasuk says, don't eat it but you can give it to uh, uh, a non-Jew. You can give it to a foreigner. You can give it to a, uh, uh, to a dog. So there it goes out of its way to say you can get benefit from it. And that means that if it didn't say that, I would not be able to get benefit from it. So therefore, anytime it says do not eat and it doesn't add anything else, um, I can assume that, that that means that you cannot get um, a, a benefit from it. Therefore, in this, according to this reading, you could read as follows Saya Sa you supposed to stone it now and do not eat is coming to add do not get benefit from it right well, that would leave a um open. We're going to get to that in a minute what what this reading would do with that extra phrase bala Shoki but according to this reading, if it's stoned well certainly you can't eat it because it's because it was stoned and So achel is coming to say not only can you not eat it also you cannot get benefit from it. If someone would go and do shechita before it gets stoned, yeah then it would be kosher. Um, so according to this reading we can derive the <laughs> Surhanaa from Lo Yah. Nafka Lan Lo Nafka. But we reject this reading, at least for the time being. Um, and because you can only say to be principle, if the prohibition against eating is derived from the words loya then you could say loya means eating and, and benefit, unless it says you can give it to a, a non-Jew. Um, but here we learn the prohibition against eating from sakoli sakel, from the fact that it's stoned, and that's why you can't eat it. Because in fact, if someone would do shakita before it gets stoned, it would be the edible. So therefore, you cannot expand lo here to mean isuranaab because. We don't derive the prohibition of eating from this word, lo yachel. Rather, it must be that lo yachel is teaching us the, what we saw but said before that even if you do shechita it, it's prohibited. Um, after all, if, the, if this phrase, lo yachel, was coming to teach us only yisur then it should have said, don't get benefit. Lo yehaneh. Don't get benefit from it. Right, that would have made more sense because I learned the prohibition that you can't eat it from Sacol e Sakel so I already know that. So what do you want to add? That's prohibited from benefit. So then say, oh, also you can't benefit from it. That would be a more straightforward way. I understand in other cases where you're packing everything into one phrase, lo yachel, and you don't say any uh, any exception that you can give it to a non-Jew, then lo yachel means don't eat it and don't get benefit from it. But here, uh, the prohibition of eating is from sakol from Yisakel. All you're adding is a, a prohibition of benefit. So just say, only a prohibition of benefit. So therefore, uh, we reject that reading that's fine if it said uh i would even uh, uh, let's say a different read a different reason why we were rejecting it be abu's application here if it said fine i would agree with uh, your reading uh you have to stone it and do not eat it and do not have benefit from it but from the fact that the pasuk adds it's flesh what does that mean the phrase, its flesh, comes to teach that even if you did Shekhita before, it got, uh, it, it, you did sikila on it, still, right, you did shechitah, like you would, regular flesh that you eat, still it's prohibited. So, the if it just said, lo yachel, fine, I might read like Abu. but the fact that it adds, et besado comes to teach me this extra law, that assured that is condemned to death by Sikila, even if you do Shekhita, it's still prohibited from eating. And uh, therefore, you can only derive a law from eating here, and and so the prohibition against Hana'ah must come from the end of the Pasuk um, uh, that he is Naki la Now a challenge to that answer uh, Maybe the prohibition to eat it even though you did proper shechitah is only when you slaughter it with a stone. You're allowed to use a sharp stone to uh, to do proper slaughter. You can do that. Uh, so when you check the stone and it's nice and sharp and smooth and you did shechitah there it kind of is similar to, to sikila because you're killing it with a stone. Although not by throwing the stone at it, by, by slitting its throat with a stone, but I might say, since you're using a stone, it's similar to Sikila, and that's the only case where the flesh would be prohibited to eat. Uh, but maybe but if I slaughtered it with a knife, that's totally different from um from sechila, and maybe uh, the meat would be permitted to eat in such a case. Midi, uh, so we challenge. We say no, that doesn't make sense. Midi sakin beoraita ketiv veolatanya b'kol shochatin ben besol ben bezuchid ben bekrumit shel kane. Does the Torah ever say that you do shechita with a knife? It doesn't say with a knife. Just says do do shechita. So there's no you can't make a distinction between doing shechita with a knife or with anything else. And if you don't if you don't accept the proof from the from the lack of the Torah saying a word, a proof a evidence from absence, then I'll give you a better proof um, from a braita that you can says explicitly you could do shechita with anything with a stone, with sharp glass, with a sharp stalk of a reed and certainly with a knife, um, it makes no difference. You can use all these things. So you, it's impossible to make a distinction and say, if you do shechita with this item, it's permitted, the flesh is permitted, but with a different item, it's prohibited. No, shechita, shechita, shikhita. And therefore, um, if the Torah is coming and saying, don't eat its flesh, its flesh means... With, um, it doesn't, you can't eat the flesh if you do Shekhita, whether you do sikila or Shekhita, it doesn't matter how you do the Shekhita with a stone or with a knife. Good. Now, even though we saw reasons to reject the Biabhu, if we do go back to the Biabhu and accept it, and therefore, that we say, B'abhu taught that whenever it says loya or tohel it means um, that it's permitted for eating and hana'a, unless it says otherwise that you can give it to a dog, which it doesn't say here. So, according to that principle, if you can use, one, that phrase for isur achila and isur hana'a, um, then, what do I need? The end of the phrase. For the other opinion that they said, we learn from Lo that if you do shechita before Sikhila is prohibited, fine, then I need a Baalashonaki to teach me But according to this reading, that Loya teaches me Ba Akhila and Hana'a, then what am I going to do with that extra phrase? And the answer is, That's too. Prohibit even the skin. Because I might think, since it says, don't eat, fine, don't eat means don't eat or get benefit. But the Pasuk added the words flesh. So I might think that only the flesh is prohibited from eating and, and getting benefit from it. But maybe the skin is permitted to get benefit from it. I can make a coat out of it. I can make a carpet out of it. And so that's why... Um we still need the phrase Bala Shonaqui, he's cleaned out, he gets no benefit. Well Hanachtantima Pikle Hai Bala Shonaki Lachasi Kofel Ud Ul Velid Me Veladot hanat Ohanat Orominale. Now there's another Tana that says Bala Shonaki is necessary to say he doesn't have to pay anything. This is more closer to the Peshat of the Pasuk that he doesn't have to pay anything else, meaning he doesn't have to pay half a kofed. You see, if it's Mu'ad, then he gets a, the the, um, the owner of the ox gets a death penalty if he can pay a ransom. Fine, but usually when it comes to damages, a short time, he starts to pay half. So you might think over here that this a short time that killed someone maybe has to pay half of his kofed of his ransom or if it kills a pregnant woman who had who was uh, with child and causes a miscarriage maybe it would have to pay for the miscarriage which is true for people if a person injures someone else like the bystander when men are fighting they do have to pay for the miscarriage so there's another Tanah says I need the phrase Bala to teach me that although I would have expected that a person with a short time should pay half kofer or pay for the uh for the for the a miscarriage no bal shornaki teaches me that you don't have to pay anything so now i'm already I'm using by bal shornaki for that so how does how would this tana learn that that you can't get any benefit from the ox hide et from the extra word et et that which is secondary to the meat the skin is less important secondary to the meat so from the extra word et. Good. edach. And now, the other Tana who didn't need Bala for the chasikum and Meveladot, for, but used uh, uh the to teach that, that the skin is not allowed, what does he need the word et for? So he says et, not. He doesn't derive laws from the word et. And that is the whole opinion that uh, there's a big machok that whether you derive laws from the extra word et or it's not an extra word. It's simply a, a particle that indicates a direct object, but you, you need it just for basic grammar. A famous braita about either Shimon or the Amsonite that went through every Et in the entire Torah, uh, assuming that, yes, we do learn things from it, and derived an uh, extra law from every single Et. But then he got this Pasuk in Devarim, It says, you should uh, fear God. Now, what's Et going to come to add? what what else can be uh equivalent that you'd add to fear of god fear of god is the highest thing what what else can you possibly add to such a thing and so he he gave up on his project. So the, so the student said, "Rabbi, you've been spending years, you know, going through every single et. Look at all the work you did. What about all those all those things that you derived? What are you gonna do with all that work that you fin- that you completed?" Very very important principle. Just like I got merit for the seeking and and deriving laws from the, all those et, so too I I will receive reward. um, on for uh, withdrawing and realizing that my theory was mistaken. This is a really important principle. A lot of times a person has some theory or something that they're pursuing and they put so much time and effort into proving it that they can't get away from it even when there's evidence against it. They'll just uh, make up all kinds of crazy things because they're so invested the theory that they've been working on and that they already put so much time and effort into it. But if someone who's intellectually honest when you see a roadblock and you and well if you can get past it you know if you can solve it fine but if you can't solve it and it's clear that your theory is wrong then there's just as much value as realizing that yeah I put 10 years of work into a theory that's wrong but now recognizing that it's wrong that itself is praiseworthy to uh to recognize that, and so yeah, sometimes uh when you're investigating something um you go down the dead end, but that's important also to realize the dead end and be honest and say so, and then um you could leave that theory and uh and declare that I was wrong to begin with, so that's a very very important lesson, however, he didn't have to give up so quickly. Not so quickly. He didn't have to give up uh, totally. Et Hashem and Rabbi Akiva came after and said, "Wait a second. You did a lot of good work with all those Ets, and you got stuck on this one. I have a solution. What? How? What else can you add to fear of Hashem that comes to include Tamidah Chamim? Tamidah Chamim. They." They uh, are are one's uh, bridge to to in order to fear God. Is how how do you, how do you come to fear God? So you emulate emulate the way Talmidei Chachamim. You see the, how they have Yidat Shamayim and through Yidah of Talmidei that brings someone to Yidat Shamayim. And therefore, yes, it is appropriate to add uh, the word Et to include that one should not only fear Hashem but also one should fear Talmidei Khamim as representatives of Hashem's will. And his uh, and his Torah teaching in the world. Baruch Adonai leolam. Amen. ve'amen.